for me, it was, you know, it wasn't because I got my first paycheck and it was too low because of taxes. You know, it was because I loved a girl and the government said no. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, my Liberty Lumberjacks, to the Lions of Liberty podcast. As always, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. And we've got a fun one coming here for you today in this episode, the 239th episode of this program. And that means that you can find today's show notes featuring links to all sorts of things we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 239. Before we get into the show today, I want to give a quick shout out to some other great libertarian podcasts out there. Our friend Chris Spangle and the We Are Libertarian podcast. We've got our man Johnny Rocket Adams and the Johnny Rocket Launchpad and Roger Paxton over at the Lava Flow podcast. You can find them all on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you find podcasts. These are all great programs that you just cannot miss. My guest today is a stand-up comedian based out of Charleston, South Carolina, and as you may guess by the fact that he's appearing on today's program, he often inserts his political views into his comedy routine. He is Mr. Jeremy McLellan. Jeremy, are you ready to roar? (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready to roar. Yeah, I knew you would be, man, of course, because you roar out there every single, I don't know if it's every single night that you're doing stand-up, but uh, I take it you're working a decent amount, and uh, why don't we kind of start there? How did you first get into stand-up comedy? Was that was that kind of before you became, uh, you know, political about things, or, or that, you know, what which came first, I guess, the chicken or the egg here? It was after, uh, so I, I, I got into politics, and I was like a young, angry guy who nobody wanted to talk to because I would just start arguments and try and talk about politics to everybody. And like, I was that guy and it's, 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 it's a terrible guy to be. And I don't recommend being that guy to anybody because you, you won't get friends. Uh, or if you do get friends, you'll just get friends that agree with you. And so I realized that I wasn't, you know, having the life that I wanted. And so, uh, I was always clever. And so I had a bunch of friends who did stand up comedy. And so they, uh, recommended that I do that. And so I had this thing where like, I had this challenge to myself that like I wouldn't post anything on Facebook unless it was also funny. Like, so I could, I could say whatever I wanted, but there had to be a joke in there. And so like that, uh, that got me going and I started doing open mics and performing more and got good and people started noticing me. And so that was three years ago. And so I'm a very different person than I was back then. I take things a lot less serious and I mean, I do take, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I take issues seriously. It's but your approach that's changed. Yeah, my approach has changed. Uh, my way of thinking has changed, and what I expect to accomplish has has changed. Because there's only so much you can you can do. Why, why don't we tick back the clock a little then? And how yeah. did you first? I guess how did you first get interested in politics? I mean, what were your political views? I don't even know if you necessarily you know identify as a libertarian per se. I think you have a lot of. Oh, I do. I mean, uh, overlap. But how did yeah, you? it's it's sort of interesting. My my dad's. Uh, you know, we grew up. Uh, he was you know, wanting us to read, uh, Hayek and, um, Bastiat. And, uh, he's, he definitely, I don't know if he identifies as libertarian, but he definitely is. And then we all, you know, me and my two older brothers, like we all sort of rebelled against that. And so I was this lefty liberal person for most of my life. I'm still technically a registered Democrat. And then I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I volunteered for, Obama's campaign in 08. Uh, I was very, very hardcore 
you know, uh, lefty, uh, you know, if, if, if I was still that way, I would have been a Bernie bro. Right. <laughs> for sure. And then, you know, some things happened. My, the girlfriend that I had at the time got deported. And so wow. that Where was she, from? Thought, she was from Estonia. So it's like, it's like not even one of the bad countries. Not, like, even on, right? not so, on Donald Trump's radar at all. Right. Well, it, 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 it could be on his radar for like his next wife. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it was like, that's exactly the kind of person um, that he would marry. But uh, so, yeah. And so that got the whole process of going through the bureaucracy of asking nameless to whom it may concern if I can date this girl. Like the whole process just sort of like radicalized me, I guess. And so that got me thinking more about like government bureaucracy and like, why is it the government's business to tell me who I can date? Why is it the government's business telling who can work where, you know, to protect native workers, to protect jobs? Like why, why is it the government's job doing this? Because these are just nameless people. Like it's people who, and then, you know, a nameless person told us no. Like there is someone in the United States. It's, it's so bizarre and like Kafka-esque, but like there is someone in the United States whose decision it was that me and this girl couldn't date anymore. And like, they made that decision and I'll never know who it is. And like, they probably aren't even thinking about it right now. Like that's how bizarre, you know, bureaucracy and democracy and government, like in general works. And so that, you know, most of the people who wrote about open borders were, you know, libertarians. And so I got in, I came to Liberty, like from the left and I still retain a lot of that, like instincts, like in terms of social, you know, social justice and concern for the poor. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm what you would call like a bleeding heart libertarian, which is like a specific thing. It's like there's, you know, there's a group of people who call themselves that. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of my my story in a nutshell. My, my instincts are still uh, very much, uh, you know, that of, of, of a leftist. But I'm I'm st- I'm pretty much a, you know, just regular old libertarian. Right now. That's a really fascinating story, though. I mean, we're, so were you actively trying to go through like the proper channels to keep yeah. it here or were you trying to get married? Or what, what were you actually trying to do? Well, we had like we hadn't been dating a ridiculous amount of time. And so like, you know, getting right. dated would have, you know, getting married would have been very premature. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, we tried to go through the proper channels and which involves just sending a bunch of information out to no one right. and then hoping that an no one tells. Like, and then, yeah, to, to an address. Hoping that someone like, you know, ate lunch before they decided. <laughs> like you're, you're really you're hoping things like that. You're hoping that like somebody, you know, didn't have an, have an argument uh, with their boss before they decided your case. And it turns out they did or they did. You know, they were hungry or something. You pretty much want to so- just hope that they got laid the, the night before. You know, exactly. They're in the best mood possible. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, it said no. And so that was the end of that. And so. So, so yeah, that's so, what started to drive you more, uh, I guess, into the the arms of of the libertarians when they they agree with you on this one issue that kind of spark your interest in looking yeah, through and some other areas. Yeah, I think that's the case with. I mean, everyone has a, has a different story, and you know, I I have a, a a friend. He's my favorite libertarian political philosopher, um, Jason Brennan. Um, he's at Georgetown, and he's just the best like libertarian political philosopher. Um, I think, but he, I asked him because his he's his area of expertise is on like voting behavior and the ethics of voting. He wrote a book called The Ethics of Voting. And uh, I asked him, I was like, what does make, pe- make people change their minds on politics? Like, is there any social scientific data or studies that show like that, that like, this is how people change their minds? And he was like, no one knows. <laughs> no one knows why people change their minds. And so I'm like, oh, okay. 
And so that sort of that's sort of resonated with me in a bunch of ways. Just that, like everyone has a totally different story. You know, for me, it was you know it wasn't because I got my first paycheck and it was too low because of taxes. You know, it was because I loved a girl and the government said no. And so that to me is, you know, and then from that, it got into like, well, why does the government have the right to do the vast majority of the things that it does? And so from there, you know, I'm, I'm now pretty much at least philosophically an anarchist at the moment. So you made the, the great leap, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's how most people, I mean, I, I don't know if that's how most people make their decisions, but it's just, you know, there's no there's no rhyme or reason for most people in, in terms of why, how they get to where they are. Right. And that, and I think that's why we can see people like Donald Trump be successful because they're there. He has the ability to use rhetoric to sort of right. make people feel a certain way, which really doesn't necessarily need to be related to reality at all whatsoever. <laughs> and yet exactly. it's, it, they're able to do it because people don't necessarily, at least most people in the electric don't necessarily have like a strong foundation for their beliefs. So when someone comes along and right. starts you saying some things that resonate. I mean, the, the way the way I think, I mean, my my guess is the way I think most uh, politics works is it's very tribal and it depends on what you identify with, uh, your personal beefs, how you see yourself, what groups you see yourself a part of. And then you go back and add in a a foundation of, you know, political philosophy or, you know, try try to make what you already believe consistent. And I think that's pretty consistent with, um, you know, political psychology is that people arrive at their opinions uh, based on emotion and then they sort of add reason after that, which is great. There are their emotions that they've already basically arrived at. Right. And I, I, I see that all the time in, you know, in comedy where people will love like and like I, I, I don't do, you know, the vast majority of the, the comedy that I do is not for libertarian audiences. Um, it's sort of, you know, very, very mixed audience. And so, and I'll have people of like all political stripes come up to me and say like, Hey, I really liked your joke about like the wage gap or something. And they will project what they believe about the wage gap onto me and say like, I'm really glad that you agree with me about that. And I don't like, I don't agree with them. Like it's just people. And then somebody who disagrees with them will come and say the exact same thing. And so people do that to me. I make them laugh. So they have to find a reason to like me. And so I feel like that's like the same thing that's going on with Trump, where like Trump makes people like them, you know, like him. And you're drawn to him. He's powerful. He's an alpha male. And maybe your father didn't treat you right. So, you know, you're like trying to impress <laughs> your father. And so you're drawn to Trump. And, uh, and then you have to come up with reasons why, you know. And he says shit that politicians just do not say, which I think, you know, it doesn't resonate in, a, in an intellectual way, but politics isn't all that intellectual, but it does resonate with, a, oh, this guy is different. And in a time when people want something different they're, and they're sick of a lot of what they're hearing, just right. being different, it doesn't matter what, what the, you know, what the rationale behind it is. Simply being different is, is to the extreme that Trump is, is going to garner attention, especially when he just, Absolutely. like I said, it's just, he's a master at this. And it's, it's um, impressive in a way until you actually realize some of the things he's saying and then it's just kind of frightening and he's he's saying things that americans say i mean like he is either equal to or less racist than the average american which isn't saying much but like i really think that like i really think that he is you know and as far as him being sexist i think he's sexist i think the average american is sexist and i think that he is either equal to or less sexist than them 
And but I mean, like this he, thing with he, the nude photos of Melania, like this has oh, yeah. this has Trump master plan written all. No over one, it. no one cares about that. And you know, you have this weird situation where Democrats are slut shaming, you know, Melania and uh, attacking her. And I mean, what it does expose is that is that Republicans don't actually care about that. And that's been one one good thing about this election is it's exposed what people actually care about. And people don't actually care about, you know, the debt. They don't actually care about, you know, norms of human rights in at wartime. These are things. And so I think this has sort of brought up something that that libertarians have always said, which is that the government is too powerful. And, you know, like we cannot trust norms to uh, to keep us from being monstrous. I think Rand Paul found out that um, that talking about the debt and trying to be very intellectual uh, just doesn't really work, sadly. Yeah, no one no one cares unless they see themselves as being I mean, he was really going after a very niche group of people who who cared a lot about, you know, libertarian slash conservative principles and saw themselves as part of, you know, these libertarian wonky people. And it turns out no one cares about that. I mean, even like people who elected, you know, Thomas Massey or Justin Amash, you know, these very, very libertarian Republican people, well, all their constituents are voting for Trump. And so it turns out that their constituents didn't actually care about their like libertarian philosophy. They just cared about their anti-establishment, you know, credentials. And so I've, I've seen quotes by one of them. I forget which one. It may have been my Massey, who was just like, it's kind of depressing. I thought they had elected me because I was a libertarian. Turns out they just elected me because I'm anti-establishment. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of, you know, concerning. And so, of course, they, they both have to, you know, they, they have to endorse Trump. Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of libertarian outrage about there about, you know, Rand Paul saying he'll vote for Trump. I don't know if he came yeah. to a full endorsement and Thomas Massey has officially endorsed him, but... I mean, uh, what are you going to expect? This is politics. Uh, you're, you're, we're going to generally have to expect that Republicans are going to endorse Republicans. I mean, and Democrats right. are going to Bernie endorse Hillary. Like this is what's going to happen, and we just you yeah. can't we and, can't get mad about it unless we just want to be away from politics altogether. Well, and the, so for them, the worst thing that can happen is that Trump could win, and then uh, and then just destroy the country, and then they get blamed for it. If Trump loses, uh, they're not going to get blamed for it. Right. So. Even if even if they endorse him, they're not going to get like primaried by a more libertarian candidate who then blames them for voting for Trump. That's not going to happen. So, you know, maybe they see the writing on the wall. Maybe they kind of see what I see. I mean, I know that Hillary is leading in polls and, uh, you know, maybe Gary Johnson is gaining some traction. But I hate to say it, but objectively speaking, from what I've observed, I I feel strongly there's a very good chance Donald Trump is going to be president. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that's not the conventional wisdom, but he hasn't gotten here by conventional wisdom. And uh, maybe they just see, you know, if I have any hope to influence this administration at all, I got to at least play nice and, you know, do my thing. Say I'm endorsing him. You know, what do you yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. And it's sort of like, you know, see, I, I, I hope that uh, selfishly, I mean, people always tell me like, oh, you're a stand-up comedian. You must really want Donald Trump to win because it's just going to be endless material. As if Hillary no. doesn't have endless material. Well, well, <laughs> well she, she doesn't for most comedians. The, the, because of your audience uh, typically or? Well, well, no, it's because, I mean, I would prefer Hillary to win because I will continue to go after her. And, you know, if Trump wins, every single comedian in the country who are mostly liberal will go after Trump. 
you know, and it'll be a saturated market. Yeah, it'll just be and another. It'll be another one of those. You know, I'll Trump be another haters. one of those people with these Trump, and it's it's very very hard to write comedy about Trump. Like it's very very difficult because he does he's such a <laughs> yeah he's such a ridiculous figure, and he invites that. He's you know, uh, and so every comedian in the country has about the same sort of jokes about Trump, and like you know, so. But very few people really go after Hillary because they're, you know, they're liberals. And so if Hillary wins, I'll, you know, I'll be part of a fewer number of comedians who will, who will go after Hillary. So I hope, you know, get that niche. I don't actually hope she wins, but I, you know. Right. I mean, we I have, hope, the fact I hope, is one of I these people both, are. I hope are... they both have strokes and Gary Johnson, you know. <laughs> Ascends, makes a rapid ascension to the top. So, you know, yes. Right. Yes. Uh, so. When you started going into stand-up comedy, like you, were, you already held these libertarian beliefs. Did you, from the get-go, like have a plan to insert a lot of your beliefs into your comedy, or were you, were you in any way hesitant to, to do that? Yeah, so when I started doing stand-up comedy, my, my thing was I was going to take these very serious opinions and make them uh, funny somehow, which is a terrible way to do stand-up comedy. Like, that's not, you don't want to make, you don't want to basically be doing propaganda. And so I had to learn eventually, and this is just... Part of the feedback of, you know, not doing well in front of audiences, you know, figuring out what sells, what, you know, what makes people laugh. And uh, through that, I learned how to do how to actually be funny instead of just like how to make stuff, I think, you know, funny. And so from there that, you know, now I'm just funny and you, you know, I can do a I can do an hour in front of a bunch of people and they won't necessarily know you know, right away that I'm a libertarian. Right. Even you though don't, you don't want to be yeah. libertarian comic. You want to be funny comic who might have some weird libertarian beliefs. Yeah. 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 You want, you want people to either find that out or, and then, you know, you get a gig for doing like, you know, either students for Liberty conference or like a young Americans for Liberty conference and you'll perform and then you'll, you'll do, you know, your most libertarian stuff and everyone who there hear who hears it knows like, ah, this is the philosophy that's underpinning these jokes. Whereas, like, you know, if, if I do a joke about police brutality in front of a bunch of people, they don't know if I'm a libertarian or if I'm on the left. So, Jeremy, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you interweave your political views into your comedy in a bit. But I need to take a quick minute now to give a word to our sponsors. Hey, guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Please check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can get us on Google Play, Stitcher, and also available on iTunes. Do you have an example of a kind of a, a libertarian-ish joke that you've done before that that has resonated with the audience that might have, I don't know, maybe in reality they're just laughing at your joke, but, you know, maybe uh, had some sort of effectiveness in, in, in making a connection to that that political belief you're also putting forward? Sure. So there's the joke about that I have about uh, the difference between cops, you know, cops and firefighters. <laughs> yeah, that's, and, that's uh, a, I'll let you tell it, a, but it's a funny one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, like, I mean, the joke is just, is, is anybody else think it's weird that cops and firefighters have the same phone number? Because it's really weird, like, I mean, because, like, you know, they have very different reputations. Like, no one hates firefighters. Nobody's ever, like, thrown a Molotov cocktail at a fire truck. Nobody's ever, like, you know, yelled fascist at a firefighter. I don't think that many people, like, really hate firefighters. And I think it's because firefighters wait around for somebody to call them for help, you know? Like nobody, you know, they like hang out in the fire station. They like lift weights. They play with a Dalmatian. They do whatever. I don't really know what firefighters do. Playboy all day. and stuff, I guess. Right, something like that. But like, I don't like cops. They don't wait. They go around like looking for you, like for somebody to help. So they're like, they're like, can I help you? And you're like, nah. And they're like, why are you resisting? And you're like, what? And they're like, pow, pow. And that's it. You know. Imagine if the firefighters just kind of drove around in their big red fire truck, just like seeking out fire, spraying, spraying people with fire. That's the next joke. Yeah, they is see you lighting like, a you know, cigarette, and they just you know spray you with their hose. Right. If, if firefighters acted like cops, they'd just be driving around town spraying people with their fire hoses, and you'd be like, "Why'd you spray him?" And they're like, "I thought he was on fire. Like he wasn't <laughs> on fire. He just had red hair. Like racial profiling, you know. And like no no firefighters ever like gone to the wrong address and drowned someone's dog. Is what I'm saying." And, like, all of that is, like, that's very libertarian-y, right. you know. But that's, you know, that's, it's, there's nothing in there that's, like, you know, necessarily, like, privatize police. Right, something. no one's going to hear that joke and be like, ah, we figured you out. You're a libertarian comedian. Yeah, this is Off a Koch stage with you. That joke was funded by the Koch brothers. <laughs> I saw this, um, I just want to mention, a, a fan of our show, Jonathan Hubbard, he sent me the, this, uh, the stand-up bit that you did, and he said this, this particular bit was, uh, was what had basically made him a fan of yours and that's basically why we're doing the show today because i often ask my fans for feedback oh okay cool and awesome. uh, yeah but uh, the one the other joke was the the income inequality gap joke that you made so yeah the, you can that, tell that one real quick yeah 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 so i mean it's just you know my wife is a liberal right so like she's on the left she like bernie sanders and um it's cool we get along really well we just argue about that and it's fine and uh it's not, it's not that important i mean we agree on 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 politics and but she was saying that women still make 77 cents for every dollar that a man makes. And like, but like I explained to her, that's just because men naturally gravitate towards higher paying professions like doctor or engineer or CEO. Whereas women uh, just naturally gravitate towards lower paying professions like female doctor and female engineer <laughs> and female CEO. Like it's not, it's not our fault you don't apply for the regular jobs, right? <laughs> it's just on the other up. side of the form, I think you said, right? You know? Yeah, so yeah, just turn the application over. Just it's all right. Just apply for there regular doctor and you'll be fine. Yeah. And then I, I have like several more jokes after that about like, you know, I think I think when I think men should make more than women, right? Because like we have to provide for women. Like, uh, you know, we have to share all that extra money with our wives and our daughters to take care of them, which can get really expensive because uh, I don't know if you know this, but they only make like 77 cents for every dollar that a man makes. <laughs> and so then it just keeps wrapping around and like, you know, in like sort of inception type thing. But the good thing about that joke is that like I can tell that in a very, very like lefty feminist crowd or I could tell that to a libertarian crowd and they'll just project what they think onto that. I mean, like, you know, we know that the wage gap is largely a myth or it exists, but it, it exists between all men and all women. It doesn't exist for men and women in this exact same position for the exact same things. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. So I'm curious your perspective on, uh, I guess, the liberal sort of comedic gatekeepers out there most of the prominent comedians in the media uh are are very liberal and sure. they, they seem to be sort of kind of 
you know, it's it's at a point where people are using you know John Stewart segments, although he's not around anymore doing this stuff. Trevor Noah, Larry Wilmore, Colbert right. as like evidence of their political beliefs. And it's is that like troubling to you at all? That I mean, I don't think comedians should be less listened to. Like, I think you're just because you're a comedian doesn't mean I shouldn't respect right. your viewpoint, but it also shouldn't mean that therefore what you said is correct. You know, it, it, it should yeah, be a shouldn't. way to inspire um, discussion, not, not really be a, a gatekeeper for discussion. And that, that does seem to be the, the role that a lot of the, uh, the major comedians are, are starting to play in, in our society. Yeah. And it's not very, it's, I don't think that's a good, I mean, I've benefited from that, from that shift because I'm more, intellectual than I am, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty intellectual and I'm also a comedian. And so I benefit from the shift towards like the comedian as a public intellectual model. But, you know, previously it was very much like, uh, there's, there's serious public intellectual work going on. People are having a serious conversation. The adults are having a fun conversation. Like the King is, the King is deliberating and on the side you have the comedian who is livening things up, who's, you know, making everyone remember that they're human and uh, making people not take themselves too seriously, right? Like the comedian is contributing to like the central work of like public, you know, intellectual life. And, but more and more, like the comedian is expected to like take the role of the public intellectual. And that is interesting. So like Trump is basically like a, almost like a stand-up comedian who who became who wants to become king right. right and you know Hillary Clinton is very much like the you know like standard queen or whatever and so i don't know I, I don't i mean i'm i'm benefiting from that shift but i don't see it as very as 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 very positive because what happens is people will project whatever views they have on you and they'll think you're a lot smarter than you are. Like if you can make if you can tell a political joke and make someone laugh, they will think that you're a lot smarter than you are. They'll think that like you really thought it through. Like they'll think that, you know, you have an expert grasp on the wage gap. And like I don't. I can tell you the names of people who do and I can refer you to them and I would rather you read them like than pay attention to me. You know, I rather you know, rather you do both, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And so, you know, the, like the John Stewart model of comedy is to make political points with comedy. And then when someone says, Hey, I disagree with your political points, you say, Hey, I'm just a comedian. What do you expect? Come on. And it's like, okay, but you were obviously using comedy to make a political point. And so that's the John Stewart model. And I follow it to to a degree, like I'll make points. And then when people, you know, try to have a serious conversation with me, I'm like, uh, you know, this is not really worth my time. And so I'll be like, well, I'm a comedian or whatever. And so it's not that fair, but that's sort of how we, you know, where we are right now with um, as far as, you know, political comedy. Let's talk about the other guy that we mentioned briefly earlier, this Gary Johnson fellow. Now, you posted yeah. something on Facebook the other day that I'm, I'm going to quote because it literally made me laugh out loud to the point that I even told my girlfriend, look at this. And isn't this funny? And she's like, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so but you said, weird seeing all my liberal friends called Gary Johnson an extremist libertarian. Can you please tell my libertarian friends that it would make them so happy? And yeah. I, I think that's a good launching point, point to kind of discuss Gary Johnson and how how he is perceived because I've seen this in action. I've seen a conversations with 
between liberal friends talking about Gary Johnson like on Facebook, and they're like, "Man, I really like him on a couple things, but boy, he's a, he's got this crazy extreme economic ideas." And I'm just thinking, like, he does? What what are they? Like, well, and it's like you, you know, he he may. I mean, the Libertarian Party's platform is 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 uh, you know supposedly. I mean, among libertarians, it's not very extreme. But the Libertarian Party platform is to the vast majority of Americans very extreme, calling for like you know an end to like that you know huge you know branches of the government, and it's you know so I get that as far as what Gary Johnson wants to do if he wins, or like what he could do if he wins. I think it's all great stuff, and I think that it's not gonna. I mean, he's not gonna abolish you know schools, you know, <laughs> if he becomes president like that. He's gonna get that through Congress. No, he'll pursue a very, you know, non-interventionist foreign policy. He will do whatever he can to end the drug war. I mean, he'll do all wonderful things, things that I agreed with before I became a libertarian, things that my wife agrees with. Like, It's funny how, like, extreme libertarian stereotypes will get put upon people who don't even hold them. Like, I mean, I saw people saying, like, you know, I like Gary Johnson, but the environment is just too important to leave to the free market. Gary Johnson defends the EPA. He's a supporter of the yes, EPA. Right. So, like, you're, this is not even in line with the reality of his positions, a position that he's criticized for by libertarians, which is just, it, the whole thing just is just hilarious to me. Right. And, I mean, I, I, have, I have a lot of friends who, uh, you know, supported McAfee or supported Daryl Perry. And, you know, they, they tr- you know, tr- tried to launch a uh, you know, an in sort of insurrection at the at the convention, which I, I performed at the convention, but like they they you know tried to get it so that like you know the the more like you know the anarchist wing of the libertarian party would win, and it's just like okay, it's fine, great, but come on, like <laughs> if if you know let's let's try and move the ball. You know, my friend Jack Hunter had a good analogy. It's like we're just trying to move the ball forward in the direction of liberty, and. Like, uh, you know, a win by Gary, you know, if Gary Johnson won the presidency, like, holy shit, like that would be the most amazing thing to happen to, you know, libertarianism in a long time. But I think libertarians have become so used to not being in power and so used to like not winning that it's sort of like a badge of honor that like, you know, well, the vast majority of Americans disagree with me. And it's like, okay. But like, uh, it's almost like like get constantly getting one percent in elections is like a, you know a, a a mark of honor, like you said, for some people because it, it allows them to remain the contrarians. But if Gary Johnson exactly. starts picking up popular support, then we're like, whoa, stop, hole, put put the brakes on here. I thought we we're supposed to be contrarians. He, people can't actually start to start to support this and look look into this stuff. Heaven forbid. Right. Yeah, exactly. And look, I, I mean, I don't think Gary Johnson is a great messenger for liberty or for actually expressing the philosophy. No, I mean, like, but I mean, when you actually put stand him up next to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, it's like, oh, come on. I mean, come on. He's so much better. It's it's it sounds like he's sort of like waiting for the debates to like really go after people. Like, why is he not like issuing statements, like going out, you know, creating controversy every day, like you know, to he seems to be largely like playing it cool, which is sort of obnoxious. Like, why is Especially he not in a year where playing it cool? I mean, not playing it cool is what has we've seen that kind of success, both from Bernie and Donald Trump, where you have to go on attack mode and, and, and just be, point out all the injustices that you see and and really, you know, strike an emotional core with people. And he seems uh, to just kind of be like, eh, well, I'm here. I just ate some edibles like a couple months ago and I'm just chilling. Exactly. I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 he says he hasn't 
he hasn't smoked pot in like seven weeks. I swear like, I heard, I've heard well, the 30 well, day whatever, figure like three different times. I'm like, well, so where are you starting like, the clock like here? Whatever you did seven weeks ago, it's still, it's still hitting. <laughs> it's or maybe still, that was the source of his powers and he needs to you know, get back on right, the juice. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, like, why is he not going after Clinton for, you know, her foreign policy? Why is he not like, I mean, I could write stuff for him. If he'd hired me, I'd write tweets for him that would, you know, go viral and would, you know, would be like, oh, slam. Like, that's, that's what, I mean, I would do that, like, you know, for, for, a, a, for, for a fee, but <laughs> I am a libertarian. I do charge, but it's, uh, of course. I mean, I don't know. I feel like he's, he's wasting a lot of time just sort of trying to be the adult in the room. All right, well, Jeremy McClellan, try not to be too much of an adult out there because keeping this thing fun and, and uh, having fun with your comedy really does help, I think, in very uh-huh. small ways can help spark conversations. I mean, I did stand-up comedy one time. I was kind of hesitant oh, yeah? to, to put – just actually twice, but I was kind of hesitant to, you know – put the full libertarian platform out there, but I tr- did sure. try to sneak a little, you know, a little, a couple thoughts in there. And then I think just doing that while in, in the stand-up set itself may not be effective. It can lead to, you know, interesting conversations later on at the bar or that kind of thing. So I think any way we can start to insert our beliefs into other areas of culture, like you're doing, uh, are, can be really effective at methods to, like you said, at least move that ball a little and, and advance the conversation. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, keep up the great work. I'm glad you're out Thanks. there. We need more libertarian comedians to counter all the uh, the progressive and uh, well, I don't know. Shit, is there such a thing as a conservative comedian? I have no idea. I, I'm sure there's one. There's, there's like but... there's like three. <laughs> uh, Actually, but... there, there, there's plenty of conservative comedians, but not. They, they, funny they don't ones. do. Are they, they don't funny? do political comedy. Is what I mean. Right. Right. Yeah. Like so there's there's a very 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 limited number of of conservative comedians who do conservative comedy. Right. Well, man, keep up the great work, man. And uh, before I let yeah. you go, why don't you just let everybody know, you know how they can find out about your stand-up gigs, where they can find your work online, and just give them the whole the whole Jeremy McClellan uh, roundabout. Sure. So I have a Facebook page, Jeremy McClellan Comedy. Uh, Twitter, Jeremy McClellan. Um, I have a website, jeremymcclellan.com. It's all pretty simple. McClellan is spelled with, uh, with one C. So if you look me up, you can friend me or follow me, whatever you want to do. Jeremy McClellan, keep up the great work, man. Thanks. And have a good one. Alrighty, folks, I hope you enjoyed my discussion today with Jeremy McClellan, a fun guy to talk to. I hope you thought so as well. Now, you heard me mention in the show, Jeremy was recommended to me by a fan of the show, Jonathan Hubbard. Quick shout out to Jonathan. He's been a big supporter of this program for some time. He is a member of our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. If you just type Lions of Liberty Forum into your little search bar on Facebook, Come on over. We'll let you right in as long as you don't look like a Nigerian scam artist of some kind, a Nigerian prince. We have had a few of those in there. We get them out real quick. So we're trying to be, you know, make sure you're at least a real person. But if you come on in there, you can make suggestions. You can suggest guests to be on this program. And I just might take them seriously and just might turn turn into an episode of this very program like today's discussion with Jeremy McClellan did. So thank you, Jonathan, for recommending him. And thank you, Jeremy, for being on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion. And I think... The more we can find new ways to discuss political ideas to normal people in everyday aspects of life, the merrier, the better. And stand-up comedy and just making fun of the political system are certainly ways to do that, ways to get people to open themselves up to you, to start a little bit of that liberty conversation or at least plant the seeds for a future conversation. And I think people like Jeremy that are out there inserting a little bit of their political beliefs into their comedic stylings are doing a great service for the ideas of liberty. Now, guys, you can do us a great service 
by helping us this program out. You can, of course, support our sponsors. You can shop through our Amazon link at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon, which costs you nothing extra to do. Just gives us a little kickback when you do your normal Amazon shopping. And, of course, they have just about everything that you can think of on sale at Amazon. But more so than even that, what I really want you to do is go and leave us a five-star rating and a great review over on iTunes, over on Stitcher Radio, on Google Play, wherever it is you listen to this program, even on YouTube. Go check us out there, youtube.com slash Lions of Liberty. We have our official YouTube URL now, thanks to you guys out there subscribing to us on YouTube. So we are just expanding in so many different ways, and the more we can expand, the more we can advance this conversation well, the better. And the more we can provide to you, the more content we can provide to you here at Lions of Liberty, as we're always striving to do. Now, of course, you've got more content coming your way this Friday when my man John Odermatt hosts another edition of his weekly look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And then next Monday, I've got another interview lined up with my man Remzo Martinez, the host of the Remzo Republic, a show that was actually inspired, really, by this program. Remzo was a fan of the program. It was one of the first programs he heard about the libertarian ideas on, and it really got the ball rolling for him in his quest to think deeper about the ideas of liberty and eventually inspired him to start his own program. I was the first guest on Remzo's show. Please do look it up ahead of time. You do have a little homework. Go find the Remzo Republic. R-E-M-S-O is how you spell Remzo. Remzo Republic on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you name it. He's everywhere. Go check him out and then come back and listen to my discussion with the host this coming Monday. Until then, folks, live long and live free.